1: Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy
2: Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't
0: forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello,
1: everybody. Welcome into Ballsy. This is a very special edition of that. We're doing it... From our various locales, we've got we've got Evan Grant over in Oak Cliff. We got David Moore in Rockwall. Is that where you are, David? No,
2: not hey. at all. Cattle, Coppell. Coppell. Here 24 what? years. Rockwall. The for 24 years. Thank you very much, Kevin. I think your wife works in Rockwall. Is that correct? Is that what I'm? Does but you're not required to live where you work. Well, I thought that was a. At least I had a I
1: We would all be in downtown Dallas. There's a reason why I said Rockwall. That was at least there was a. If you say so. Yeah. Anyway, and and, and Jose Rodriguez, our producer. So it's always great to have uh, Jose with us. This is a uh, a new thing we're trying here. We hope this works. Uh, we've already tried it once. We had a try and run and it, it didn't work. <laughs> that, that was my fault. Uh, bad, bad with here at the house. Uh, we're, we're still doing a dial-up. We have rotary phones here. So uh, we have some issues, but we, we hope this will work now.
0: Let's also just mention very quickly that Jose can't speak. And it's, it's not an affliction or anything. He just uh, has muted himself. Oh,
1: can't, hey, Jose, can we mute Evan? Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's asking. All right, good. Jose can. We can't. So, well, the first thing we want to talk about is the Cowboys. Uh, We've had some things happen here recently. There is some news in the Cowboys' front, uh, obviously with the the retirement of Travis Frederick. David, uh, talk about uh, uh, that and and whether you were surprised at all that he decided to do that.
2: Yeah, you know, I I was, and I think a lot of people outside the organization were certainly surprised. And and then when I started diving into it a little bit more, I was, you know, I, I was really wondering, well, Why should I be surprised? And it's kind of, I think it kind of speaks to how athletes are conditioned and and how we're conditioned to view athletes. I mean, I I think we're, um, you know, I think an athlete, because their career is so short and because of the mentality it takes to play at an elite level, uh, if you're an athlete, uh, everything is focused on playing as long as you can, uh, extending your career, uh, you owe it to yourself and your family uh, to push it out as far as you can because, look, you have a limited career based on other careers in this world. We know that. Um, but Travis Frederick looked at it a little bit differently. Um, you know, he had 20 months ago, he discovered he had Guillain Barre syndrome, uh, an autoimmune uh, disease, and he missed the entire 2018 season. And so, while he was out, while everything he was doing was to prepare to come back, he also started reflecting and, and reevaluating uh how he looked at what his professional goals were, uh his you know, relationship with his family, his health, uh, what this means going forward. And you know, I think athletes so often construct a world for themselves that they don't really let anyone else in. I, I think they they push pain aside, uh, doubts aren't allowed. Um, it, it it it's really a construction based on, you know, I'm invincible. I can overcome anything. And as soon as some cracks appear in that world, a- and you start to reflect on that philosophy, you really start to understand how unsound it is. And and I think you know Guillaume Beray. Created the cracks in Travis Frederick's world and and I've always found him to be more reflective than than many athletes and And I don't think reflection is a good thing for a lot of athletes at least successful athletes I think they do it at the end of their careers not during their careers because it's always about achieving and overcoming something and Travis Frederick had an interruption in that where the real world kind of seeped in for a year uh, he assessed his priorities, he looked at it, and he said, you know what, I want to come back to show I can play at this level again, but that will be it, then I'm going to step away, and when he explained it in what I thought was a very thoughtful uh, and, and well-done uh, retirement statement, he kind of walks you through all of that, and you understand what he was thinking, and it really struck me with like, you know, this is an option athletes have that many of them don't look at, and, and maybe more of them should based on where they are health
1: You know, it's interesting to me uh, when I was thinking about this, about uh, athletes and, and, and making these kind of types of decisions, and I certainly applauded Travis's. It was very remarkable, I thought, his uh, speech. Uh, it really stood out to me because he really had had looked at this at 360 degrees. You know, he wasn't just looking at where he was as an athlete. He was looking where he was in his life, where he was with his family. There were a lot of great things that were involved in all this, and I think it was all terrific. I'm wondering, though, uh, you know, because of the – look, if he was still – if this was 1965 and he was making, you know, $100,000 or or $50,000, whatever offensive lineman made in 1965, $40,000 a year whatever, would he be able to make this decision? When a guy's making, you know, uh, I think Travis was scheduled to make what uh, seven or eight million dollars this year, something in that. Range? In base salary,
2: yeah. It would have been a little
1: yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh Would he Would he be able to make that if he weren't making that money? As I think, as you said, he he's uh, totaled up about forty million dollars in his career. That if he hasn't been squandering that, and I'm I'm uh, I'm imagining he hasn't, uh, he's been able to do that. When athletes start to make these huge contracts, not just in in in, in football, listen. We call these huge contracts. They're not huge contracts. You can look at baseball and see that, that uh, Elvis Sanders has been been making $15 million a year now for a long time. Uh, Shinsu Chu is making $21 million this year. And, uh, and I would, I would say that, that Travis Frederick is every bit as valuable as those guys to to his team as as they are to to the Rangers. So it's not an exorbitant amount of money in, in any fashion when we're talking about pro professional athletes, but, I still think that uh, I, I wonder if 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 more athletes will look at this like you know I've, I've made a lot of money I'm making a lot of money now I don't need to I don't need to stretch this out.
0: It depends. On that, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead, Evan. I don't think it's going to impact a lot of athletes. I think it's all going to be on a case by case basis. I do think that the world around us right now may impact some more athletes, but you know, I think, as David said earlier, the thing that they've all got to weigh is the question of when, when confronted with whether it's an injury or a disease, these guys are confronted with the idea that you've got a short-term amount of time to maximize your earnings. Um, how do you weigh future impact on your quality of life? And it's hard for those guys to, as David said, you know, you've got to be reflective in that moment. And it's, it's difficult. Guys are taught not to be reflective during their career. Um, I think that the year off certainly gave Travis Frederick some time to see a things that he was missing perhaps in his life. Um, he uh, gave him some time to uh, you just kind of think about what the future held. And I, I think, as David said, this is, This is a pretty reflective guy overall. Um, And and I I think last, if there was anything still lingering out there over the last 10 days, two weeks before he actually announced this, we're clearly living in a very uncertain moment right now. So um, I, I, I applaud guys when they feel like, hey, there are things that are more important to me than simply being able to maximize my earnings i I think what we said before when when kevin when you were just a frozen moment in time that i like um, that too you know evan really liked it but go ahead yeah yeah if you you sit down with your family and you say okay this is how much money i've earned and this is how much you know if, if if we're if we're smart with the money, this is what, and there are other opportunities that will come along, certainly too, maybe outside the world of football, versus, okay, I can play another couple of years, add some more dollars, but in 25 years, when you, my eight-year-old child has has a baby, I'm not gonna be able to pick him up. I may not remember his name. I may not be able to do any of those kinds of things because of either body, because of brain injuries, or because, you know, my knees or my, my arms have been wrecked. Um, but it's hard to get guys to sit down and pause, and you really almost have to take a time out from life to do that, which, which Frederick got.
2: Yeah, and I just think it's interesting because I, I don't think athletes realize the options they have when it comes to making these decisions. I, I think they view it from, oh, we're leaving all these millions on the table. Uh, how much more could we have made? Flip the formula and say, well, look, you've already made enough to give you the freedom to make the decision that is best for you. And that's all we're talking about here. We're not saying there's going to be a rush of athletes that do this. And, and it's not one size fits all. It, no. it makes perfect sense for Travis Frederick to retire. Just the way it makes perfect sense for Jason Witten to continue his career. Uh, it comes down to an individual decision based on health and family and, and and so many factors and dynamics that are unique to every athlete. But I don't think athletes realize or, or accept that they have the freedom to at least make these decisions. But, but I don't know, Kevin, you always have a good story about, uh, about Don Meredith. that kind of speaks to that. And, and once you start thinking about this, how it kind of takes you down a different road. Yeah,
1: you know, uh, he, he, when he went to Tom Landry and uh, was ready to retire, or at least thinking about it, and he told Tom that's what he was doing, and Tom said, "Listen, if you're thinking about it, then you need to retire." And that was that. I think Don was wanting to be talked out of it. You know, he he wanted uh, Landry to say, "Oh no, you're at the you're in the prime of your career, and we're going places, and you're going to be the one that leads us there." and and uh, and that's not what uh, Landry told him. And I, you know, I don't know if what Landry told him was good advice or not. Certainly, Don went on to have a fine life, uh, but uh, he did retire uh, at a, at a fairly young age. And I think it. I think it. He struggled with that for a long time uh, until uh, he moved into his uh, well into his second act. But it, it is it is interesting, you know, because you know what you'll hear from. I think most players, is they hear stories when a guy does retire that, oh my gosh, that they, how much they miss it. You know, how much they miss the camaraderie of the clubhouse and the locker room. And that's what, that's what most athletes miss. They don't miss the rest
0: of it that much. You know, they don't. They, uh, start- they miss the cheering. They miss the clubhouse. Adulation. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of these guys live for the adulation and clearly the the, the paychecks and all of that. Um, yeah, uh, you know, Kevin, the question I'd have, and it's certainly not possible now to go back in time. The question I'd have is, and you, you're, you're using the Landry example, but I wonder how many times that coaches tell somebody, if you're thinking about retiring then you should, is their motivation the athlete or the team? Uh, You know,
1: I, I think at that point uh, the Cowboys were, were uncertain about who their next quarterback was going to be. You know, there, Craig Morton was on the roster. Roger Staubach was on the roster. Uh, I think Jerry Rome was still on the roster at that time. And so there were certainly a lot of guys to choose from. But but Don Meredith had been a really good quarterback for the Cowboys. He'd had some moments that weren't so good. And, and you know, listen, for all the great things that Tom Landry did, he was famously, famously uh, you know, uncertain about who to play at quarterback you know even after Morton and Staubach both at at, at one time he was alternating them out there you can you imagine that happening now in the NFL with a a head coach alternating his quarterbacks on plays I mean it was just ridiculous some of the things that were were going on at that time so I don't know you know Tom was also a guy who saw the big picture I think outside of football you know Uh, he was a a great man personally and so I, I think that he Maybe he was trying to see that from from, uh, Don's uh, point of view. And also, I think that probably Landry questioned, you know, the way Don approached football. You know, he thought that Don was way too flippant about it. He thought he was just having too much fun. He wanted him to be more serious, you know, be more serious in the huddle. And those were the things that his teammates loved about him. The fact that he, he was fun. He was fun on the field. He was fun in practice. He was fun all the time. And that kind of stuff just drove Tom Landry crazy. So I, I think that there are certain issues involved with, with different players and different teams and, and how how it all is going to work. I, I do think, and this is one of the things I've always thought about men in general, not just athletes, uh, but when you're good at what you do uh, and people tell you that all the time and they tell you how great you are and you get a lot of uh, adulation and, and recognition for that, it's hard to walk away from that. It's hard to walk away from that. And become just a parent or a husband and go home and your kids are screaming, your wife's yelling at you and, and you're, you can't do anything right. And uh, and so the first thing you want to do is go back to the office, you know? And I think that's why so many men do that uh, is because it's hard being a husband. It's hard being a father. And have, it, you
0: had a, have you had a thing to, in our in my house, a microphone in my house? <laughs> Talk about can't do anything right. We don't, we don't, I can, I can hear Gina all the way from here in North
1: Dallas. I don't, I don't need a microphone. So uh, anyway, it, it is, you know, th- th- it's hard to walk away from all of that. And I, and that's just the same thing with anybody else. When it comes time to retire in your career, or if, if there is a time to retire in your career, it's like, well, do I really want to do that? I mean, I, I still like, if you're good at what you do, man, it's hard to walk away from, from that. And, I, and so that's one of the things I admire about Travis doing this. I, I think he has a, a lot of other plans in mind. He's already shown, you know, his philanthropic endeavors and things he's been involved with, which were really impressive to me. I love the story Michael Galkin told last year about how, you know, he goes down four or five years ago, early in his career, he goes down to downtown to a mission and they're feeding kids. And that's, you know, it's what the teams all do and it's all great. It's, uh, it makes everybody happy. But it wasn't a one-and-done thing with, with Travis. He sees a kid down there in line, first kid in line, and how happy that kid is to be getting a meal. Uh, and, and it was really it, – it did two things to him. One, one part of him said, I can't believe this. He's just happy but just about getting a meal. And secondly, I'm I'm happy that I'm able to, to provide that to him. And that's what struck in him the idea for that Blocking Out Hunger uh, Foundation that he established. and uh, And so – as David said, all along there was this, this seed in Travis Frederick to do other things and things bigger than football. And, and now he's free to do that all the time. And, uh, and I applaud him for that, and I wish him the best.
2: I know uh, that we need to move on and talk about some other things, but, but going back to something Evan said that, that kind of sparked this conversation, which was, um, you know, when Meredith went to Landry. You know, if a player is wrestling with retirement, I understand a coach will have a personal relationship with a player, but isn't there an inherent disconnect here? I mean, isn't isn't the coach or the owner's obligation is always to the team over the individual? And can you really get a, a true, unvarnished uh, personal opinion? when someone's obligation or job is for the team rather than the individual. I, it, it, the, the lines there are interesting. And I'm not saying even in an insidious way. You know, I'm just saying that it's, I think there's an inherent conflict there. And and when you're thinking about retirement, you need to talk to certain people, but but maybe not others because they all have, uh, I hate to say an agenda, but their perception of what you should do is colored by their position. And that's why I found interesting because, uh, you know, as of last Thursday, uh, Travis, Travis Frederick had not spoken to Mike McCarthy since his introductory news conference, which I believe was back on January the 6th. So um, th- th- that's something else to consider, too, who you talk to and, and you know, how, how they're filtering the information or the opinions that they give you.
0: I mean, I do think that that's a, move on, but I, I think that's a that's a really good example and, and, a, and a good point, David. I I also feel like, you know, some of these are are case by case situations. In in the case of a guy like Landry, who had been the only coach at that point in time that, that the Cowboys had had, and 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 there was some thought that, you know, in in that time you put your faith and your trust in the coach, right? I mean, you, sure. you personally put Different that Different time, yeah. Um, but, and, 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 at that point in time, players were like long, t- long-term employees of one organization. So you felt like you were going to your boss or a mentor of some type. And, and that's kind of where I, I came from with that question is, you know, I, I do think that, that right now, particularly in, in the world in which we live in, in which it is much more of a free agent type world, uh, the coaches have a responsibility to the to their owners, and they have a responsibility to their team and to their products, and I don't know where the line falls anymore between what their, uh, not so much responsibility is to the player, but what they feel like is their um, their obligation to be forthright and, and completely unbiased with, with the player. I, I I think it's always a good conversation to have, but I do think that I think the best coaches in those situations nowadays, if they did have that conversation with a player, um, would would be best served to try and lay out two potential scenarios. Here's here's why. Here are reasons why maybe you should consider retiring. Here's reasons why maybe you should not. And let the player then go home and hopefully go through that whole exercise that we all do, right, where you put down attributes, you put down liabilities, and you put down assets, and and you decide which are – which outweigh the other um i wanted to move on with you guys to to both the draft and, and free agency because that's a the nfl is conducting business kind of as usual um uh, the draft david i think you have told us may be a little bit up in the air in terms of both how they may conduct it and uh, when they may conduct it
2: i think Everything in the world, is in the U.S., is up in the air right now.
0: Very much so. Uh,
2: you know, as of now, it's scheduled for April 23rd, 24th, 25th, um, be a, a completely a TV event. What, what is interesting now is, um, you know, word has come out that the league canvassed the owners of the 32 teams, the general managers, excuse me, not the owners, the general managers, about, you know, conducting the draft on time, keeping the business schedule, uh, and the framework uh, in place. My understanding was it was unanimous from the the team's general managers, well, no, we should probably push this back. We should push the draft back. Uh, we can't b- bring uh, potential, uh, play, you know, the, the players we're thinking about, we can't bring them in for personal interviews. Uh, we can't bring them in for physicals. We can't give them individual workouts. Um, you know, we can't meet with them and get a better feel for who they are. So we're uncomfortable doing the draft given the way the league is operating at the moment. Uh, The league office at this point has decided to keep the draft in place April 23rd. So I think they want to wait to see how this plays out over the next couple of weeks because the decision is not imperative right now and you can always make one later. Um, but this is going to be something to watch going forward because this is – that. while there are benefits to staying on the schedule and getting your team in place and knowing what your personnel will be, I think there's a hesitation because clubs have invested so much in scouting these players, but what gives a club often the conviction – to draft a player, are those individual tech, in, are those individual meetings, or once they get them in the building. And for all the ways that technology allows us to stay in contact, and you can still gather all of this information, there is still a, a feel that you get, or, a, or an idea of a chemistry you get from, from meeting with a person all day that you can't really get just from studying the tape and talking to that person, whether it's Skype, whether it's Zoom, whatever. Now that doesn't, make, that doesn't mean that decision is always correct. And, and we've seen that before. You can certainly have a wrong feel and, and it comes back to bite you. But I'm just talking about the conviction of making a decision. I think it's easier to be convicted in making a decision once you've met and talked to someone face to face and work through all of those factors than it is when you don't have that. And, and I, think, I think that is where uh, the general managers are concerned or hesitant to make these decisions that are going to impact their club for years to come. They're not able to do all of the due diligence that they've become accustomed to doing in recent years. Yeah, you know, uh, and I and I understand that because look,
1: we interview people for a living. That's that's what we we do. And so I understand the benefits of all that. But I I do think we we've seen just recently the the uh, the holes in that type of thing too with Tristan Hill uh, and, and, sure. and Marinelli. You know, Rod fell in love with Tristan Hill because he you know they they ignored all the things that were going on in this guy's history. Uh, and I realize they they spoke to to some of his former coaches, but. He, Two different coaching staffs there uh, at Central Florida told them that, hey, that, uh, you know, this this guy had problems staying on the field. If he couldn't start for his college team, how in the world are you taking him in the second round? You know, the best example of all this has always been to me, and I used to say this about our our late friend Jerry Fraley, uh, when we would talk about interviewing somebody and putting too much stock in the interview part of the thing, if I brought Jerry Fraley in for an interview, I'd call the police afterwards, you know. So the, the thing about Jerry was you looked at his track record. You looked at what he did. You look at the, the stories he broke and, the, and professionalism he showed over the course of his career. Uh, those are the things you look for. You know, history says everything about somebody. Uh, and, and especially in those top rounds, first or second round, you need to take a guy with as few holes in him as possible. You can start taking chances on guys later than that. But up at the top of that draft, you better have a, a track record that shows that this guy is on the field, plays, does what he's supposed to, doesn't get in trouble. If it, you know, if you can see that, that's not a hard thing to find out. Especially in those – and I don't know – I've never asked anybody this, and I've always meant to. If you've got one of the top five picks in the draft, I'd hire a private investigator. I'd hire somebody to go out and check the, check these guys out. Uh, and I want to know what happens. happens. Yes. They have? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's interesting to me because I think that that's – that's uh, that's the kind of stuff you need to be finding out. Not sitting down letting the guy, you know, BS you about, oh, yeah, I, I'm all in. I'm, I'm all for whatever it is that you want to do. Uh, okay, all right, well, good. So we check that box now. Well, that's, you're not checking
0: any boxes, I don't think, when you're sitting down. I, I think you can. You don't check any boxes in an interview situation except for this, right? You can determine if you've got, like, some kind of instant chemistry with somebody. That has no impact on whether or not – that person's going to be a professional in that environment or whether he's going, he or she is going to live up to the work expectations, but it does give you an idea how you might potentially communicate with this person. The Rangers hired Jeff Bannister based off of, off of the interview process. He won the interview, but I think if they went back now and looked at, you know, the idea that they they turned away Kevin Cash in that situation, um, they might, they might have redone that managing higher. It's, it is a difficult process to make these incredible investments and then have it come down to the interview process. It it should come down to the research and analysis that you've done. And Kevin, as as David mentioned, you know, when the Rangers were talking about trading for Josh Hamilton back in 2008 or after the 2007 season, They hired an investigator to follow him for several months. Obviously, that was a high-risk individual, but they hired an investigator to to kind of tail him and and get a better idea of where he was going and was he living up to to the things. You know, it it doesn't sound all that savory, but I think it's necessary when you're talking about these kinds of investments. Absolutely. You know, to me,
1: I think there's too much – inside the office there's there are these people who think that they can find the answers to whatever they need to find and i just don't think that you can i just don't think that that's possible to get at the real ever
0: you need yeah. you know you can't base top selections on interviews no
1: no no and and you know when you once you get when you're talking about drafting a guy in the fifth or sixth round well now you're talking about 300 something athletes that you, you can't possibly account for, you know. So that's just all uh, – but that's a lot less uh, risk involved too, though. When you're drafting somebody in the fifth or sixth round, that's, you know, that's not a, re- a real risk of any kind at that point. If those players don't work out, they don't work out. Uh, but that in that first round, you, you, you have a pretty good idea of what you're going to be getting. And you ought to know, you know, and you ought to have professionals telling you what it is. And then you also ought to be going off their track record. I mean, if a guy hasn't ever been in any trouble – in, in school, and, and, if, uh, and if he's been a great player and been a productive player, well, that should tell you most of what you need to know. And I, I do think that there are things that fit in certain situations. But we saw, Bob Marinelli thought that Tristan Hill was his guy. You know, he thought this guy was going to be terrific. And, and so far, it's been a hard time keeping Tristan Hill on the field. And, and they really needed him on the field last year. And, and he wasn't available to them when he, when he needed to be. That relationship soured very quickly.
0: Here's another guy. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You you scout the later rounds of drafts, right? The in the earlier rounds, there's so much data and so much information, and your decisions have to. I think your decisions have to be guided more by floor than they do by ceiling. And I think where teams get into trouble is shooting for the moon with these players. These players that are first and second round picks on most boards. They're not separated by much. You just better make sure that you get, ad- not I don't want to say adequate, but you better make sure you get legitimate contribution out of them. Their personality, all that other stuff, that doesn't come into it nearly as much as straight performance. And, and I think that, that based on looking at college films, at looking at combine stuff, all of that stuff, that is, it's laid out for you pretty clearly there. You don't want to go scout and shoot for the moon there.
2: Here, here's another one to go off of that. We're uh, uh, yeah. and we need to wrap this up soon, but uh, another former draft pick to keep in mind here is Randy Gregory. Um, he is, uh, you know, he did not play this last year. I believe when you look at his career, I believe he's been available for I can't remember 26 games. Been 26. Since. Um, but he is petitioning to come back into the league. All expectations are that uh, he will be granted reinstatement, given the revisions uh, and really dramatic alterations in the leagues, how it views marijuana use. it's, It's difficult to envision a scenario where Roger Goodell would not allow Randy Gregory back into the league because going forward, you will not be suspended for marijuana use. You can be fined, you'll be part of a program, but you can't be suspended unless you refuse to take part in the aftercare program. So uh, Randy Gregory will be back and he will be welcomed back with welcome, you know, he'll be, be, he'll be welcomed back by the Cowboys. There will be open arms here. This will be, uh, yet again, Randy Gregory will be a part of this team going forward. You know, it's an interesting thing to me about Randy, uh, and
1: and certainly uh, he seems like you you know I, I hated this one that came out, and when we refer to guys who had uh, uh, a dependency on marijuana, which which is what we understand that that Randy has had the problem with, and uses it to kind of more or less self-medicate himself for his anxiety issues uh, and his coping mechanisms, and and uh, uh, but there's never been any question about. About Randy's character and who he is and what he is he's a smart kid and, and apparently uh uh comes from a great family and and a, a lot of good issues for him so i I certainly wish him in the uh, the best in all of these types of things but I, I will say it's interesting to me that when they drafted Randy Gregory in the second round as a defensive end, Randy is what six four two forty five along there uh when t j Watt came out uh, when they drafted taco charlton t j Watt was a i think a little maybe a little shorter than that, but about the same basically the same size, but not a guy who fit their scheme. They thought it'd be more as a uh, a three four outside linebacker uh, yeah. and and t j Watt has been a force in this league ever since he came out uh, and and I will say I kind of backed the cowboys on this when they made this choice that he was not a fit for their for their scheme and what they were doing.
2: But if Randy Gregory was a fit, why wasn't T.J. Watt a fit? Well, because, again, they, they viewed Gregory as a down lineman. Uh, they, they viewed Watt as an outside linebacker in a 3-4. Uh, yeah. Not saying they were right, clearly, <laughs> but that, that was their justification for not doing it. They didn't, they didn't think because of the scheme they ran – they would maximize what T.J. Watt could offer, which gets to the point, if your scheme doesn't maximize what a good player would offer, don't you need to alter the scheme? And yeah. This, because that's what Mike McCarthy has said uh, going in. And, and every every coach has a scheme and how they want to approach things. But he said back in January when, when we had to sit down and we were able to talk to him that you need to let the player's talent dictate how you use them and – and if you say this guy doesn't fit our scheme, you need to look at your scheme if you really like what that player has and what, what that player has to offer and what he can bring. So I think there's going to be a little bit different personnel approach uh, with what you see going forward and, and the players that, that the Cowboys will look uh, to draft and what they have over the, la- the previous eight and a half, nine years
0: all right we should probably wrap this up kevin i want to give you the last uh last 60 seconds here last word um oh i love that the uh on free agency which obviously has been going on here pretty much um business as usual uh as we sit here uh ian rapaport is um has said that the cowboys have agreed to a deal with don Tari poe so it's it's still ongoing um but i the optics of the, of the idea in the midst of this coronavirus crisis and, and pandemic and the economy being turned upside down of, of guys like, like Amari Cooper signing a $100 million contract and some of the other deals that have gotten done, um, I, I think the easy, it's easy to gravitate towards saying not a great look, but I think you've got a different perspective on it.
1: Yeah, I don't have a problem with things going on. In life as, as usual as long as you're not subjecting people to any types of problems. This is this is what we're all about, isn't it? This is what we're we were we built around. After after 11 you know, the whole idea was don't stay in your homes, uh, go about your lives. We're gonna if you don't, the terrorists win. Well, I, I realize this is a different foe now, and this is not something that we can put our our, our hands around really right now, but in any way that you can safely and certainly something in a way that's not going to jeopardize anybody else's health, that you can go about having your normal life, then you need to do that. Uh, and, and I think that, uh, that if we can – if the NFL can, can provide that for fans and certainly for the media, I need something to write about. So this is – I think it's important. What about
0: me, Kevin? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, pretty much. I'm going to write that book, as a matter of fact. Uh, so, you know, at, at any rate, I, I think it's fine. I don't, I don't have any problems with it. You know, I think if you're going to nitpick that much, if you're going to say that, uh, oh, everybody should put everything on suspension, this is what gives people the idea that we need to, to blow off this whole idea of everybody staying at home and sheltering at home, is we're going to take everything away from you, everything that was in your life before. And that's what makes people nervous. They don't want to hear that. They want to at least feel like they're having a carrot dangled out there in front of them. And if that's simply the NFL draft, then I'm all for it.
0: All right. Well, let's wrap this one up, and let's, let's head on to talk a little bit about the Rangers. Um, Jose, should we say goodbye? What should we do? All right. Well, Kevin, why don't you tell everybody goodbye?
1: Jose said to tell everybody
0: goodbye. Come back and see us next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Cowboys Ballsy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on
1: Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z Podcast.
2: Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.